21 minutes after 8 p.m. tonight on our Tech Conversations, we head out to the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Now, uh, it's uh, reported, and we certainly covered this story yesterday, a growing stockpile of copper and cobalt worth 1.5 billion U.S. dollars is uh, stranded. Uh, that's about just over 20, um, yeah, just around 20, 20, between 20 and 25 billion rands worth of uh, copper and cobalt. Uh, stranded uh, out in the DRC in what is an unfolding standoff here between Gekka Mines and CMOC over the future of one of the world's biggest battery metal mining operations. And I'm joined on the line to uh, better unpack the implication this is going to have also on many downstream technological driven sectors joined on the line by Michael uh, Kavanagh uh, who is a Bloomberg journalist who's based out in the DRC but joins us tonight out from the US. Michael, good evening, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Michael, maybe just for the benefit of some of our listeners who are not familiar with uh, the said products uh, copper and cobalt and the impact they have on much of the uh, you know, consumer electronics and technology that uh, we interact with every single day. Let's maybe start there. Sure. Well, I mean, everybody knows copper for the most part, right? It's in your pipes, it's in your wiring. Mm. But we need more copper than ever right now because of electric vehicles. Electric vehicles use massive amounts of copper wiring. And then you also need cobalt. Cobalt is this thing that, you know, you, you might know because of the color cobalt blue, right? It was used as a colorant. It was used in jet engines for a while. But then we realized that it was a great ingredient in lithium-ion batteries. It helped a battery keep a charge for a long time. Mm. And 70% of world production of cobalt and half the known world reserves of cobalt are located in the Democratic Republic of Congo. So Congo has become very this very important place to mine minerals like copper and especially cobalt. Mm. And and I guess, I mean, yeah, this stuff doesn't come cheap. Uh, I was looking the other day at uh, uh, kilogram prices of uh, cobalt and coltan. doesn't come in cheap. No, it doesn't. I mean, the price is, is pretty volatile, um, but it's a, it's a very expensive product per ton, you know, sometimes four or five, six times as much as per ton as, as copper would be. So actually in Congo, you often find that the, the mineral is, is mined by, by hand, by artisanal miners uh, mm. who can be responsible for as much as 20 to 25% of world production, or at least production in Congo of, of, of the mineral. So yeah, it's, ex- it's expensive. It has been going down recently as, as because we're so reliant on Congo for cobalt, battery companies, end users, you know, companies like Tesla or Volvo or BMW, they're looking for other ways to produce batteries or, or other elements to use in batteries. So we're not so reliant on cobalt. But for the moment, cobalt is still a very important property of, of most lithium-ion batteries. Mm. And, and, and the Congo as a place, I mean, as you say, the bulk of the known uh, you know, reserves of the stuff is found there. How long has this been mined and uh, I guess under what type of organizational configurations? It's mined for, for more than 100 years in Congo, mm. but it was never really, its importance was never really known or, or, or used until, you know, more recently, in the past couple decades, actually. Mm. And so you'll find if you go to the city of Kowesi in southeastern Congo, that the town of Kowesi is, is, based, is actually based right on top of huge, very, very rich cobalt deposits. There's mm. copper there, too, because cobalt is, is an associated mineral, so usually, you usually find cobalt with copper or with nickel. 
In Congo, it's, it's always with copper. And so the Belgians created mining towns right next to the biggest copper deposits where there was much more copper. And then they actually built right on cobalt sites. There's copper there too, but it's much richer in cobalt. And so what you're finding now is that there are whole communities that where people, when the price is high, they'll just dig underground. They'll dig up their homes. They'll dig right through their living room floors and find veins of copper and try to strike it rich. And that's actually caused a, a, a huge problem in some communities in southeastern Congo. Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, state involvement, uh, in particular by state firms like Gekka Mines, um, just for the benefit mm-hmm. of, of us who might not know how the sort of royalty regime and even, you know, the uh, extraction happens and the role of the state in that, uh, in the DRC. How, how does that work? Because I guess, you know, that foregrounds the dispute now between Gekka Mines and uh, CMOC. Right. So Gekka Mine or Jekamine is, is what you also you bought in Congo is um is is a state-owned company, and it used to be one of the most important copper producers in the world for years and years and years. But after years of mismanagement and, and dictatorship in, in Congo, it kind of after the 1980s, it kind of fell apart. Um, and then, of course, there were there were war years, and after the war, the state and, and then the World Bank and IMF kind of stepped in, and the international community and said, "Let's try to relaunch Jacobine through joint ventures." So a lot of foreign money has come in. Uh, companies like Glencore is the, the biggest co- cobalt producer and copper producer in Congo. They have two big projects, mm-hmm. one of which they're, they're, um, a joint, is a joint venture with Jacobine. Um, that's also true for a lot of Chinese companies now. And that's what we're seeing more and more is a lot of Chinese companies have come in. In the case of, of the problems with the, 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 the dispute that's going on right now, it's with a Chinese company called CMOC, used to be called China Molybdenum, and they uh, are a big mining company in a joint venture with Jacamine. And so Jacamine is supposed to get dividends and royalties um, for the contribution of the minerals in the ground. But what we've seen over time, of course, is that Jacamine doesn't have money, right? Jacamine doesn't have a lot of financing, and so mm-hmm. they have to get financed by their partners. That means it's taken Jacamine a lot longer to get the dividends and royalties they were expecting. Plus, you know, there's a long history of corruption, and Jacamine has always been used by regime after regime in Congo, um, to raise money for the government or for uh, elites and not actually for the development of, of the country. So mm. that continues to be a problem right now. And, and, and I guess, you know, this, this dispute in particular uh, arises from a, an agreement that had been signed with a Chinese, you know, I guess, uh, miner and exporter. Um, and I guess plays out into its own geopolitics about the security of supply of uh, these uh, minerals, but mm-hmm. also... Uh, the time the agreement was struck and now some changes have happened, least of all in who is in government out in the DRC. Um, what's the genesis of this deal and why has it reached this point now uh, where it's giving rise to a stockpile of some of the most valuable you know, metals? So Tanki is a mine that we've known about for 100 years, even more, more than that. The Belgians saw this, this deposit of, of copper and, and cobalt, which we care about now, and said, this is the mine of the future. It's going to last 100 years um, and provide enormous amounts of, of copper and cobalt. And many companies have tried to take it over. And actually, an American company called Freeport McMoran mined it for several years. And then they got into some debt problems and they sold it to, to CMOC. They signed the, the American company. Hello, Michael. Ah, 
I seem to have lost our line there with Michael. Yeah, so we're back with Michael on the line. Michael, we lost you there just for a little bit uh, as you were unpacking, I guess, the genesis of this uh, tie-up between Zheka Mines and uh, the Chinese uh, operator. Right. So the the mine, 10K Sungurume, was was owned originally by an American operator, and it was sold in 2016 and 17 to this Chinese company, Seamock. Okay. Um, and, and since then... Um, you know, they, basically the Americans signed a deal that Jacobin now considers to be um, unequal. And what they've been saying is that, is, is that the Chinese company, CMOC, has not actually told them all the reserves that are in the ground. And every time they find a certain number of reserves, they're supposed to pay Jacobin millions more dollars. Mm. And Jacobin's saying that this is a problem and they are actually owed $7.6 billion dollars um, in payments and royalty payments and in um, interests. And so in order to get CMOC to pay that money or to renegotiate the contract, they, in July of last year, started blocking copper and cobalt exports. So what we're seeing now is a, is a huge buildup of this metal, which has been processed because the mine keeps processing, and mm. they've been processing at the rates that they were supposed to, and none of that metal can be exported. So it's there at the mine waiting to be exported. And now we've reported that there's more than a billion and a half dollars worth of metal on the ground, and that's growing by millions of dollars every day. And and I guess, what in your view is the trigger of, um, I guess, this renegotiation now? Um, is it the non-performance of the one party? So you find more of the reserves, you don't communicate it. Or is it informed, I guess, by a geopolitical environment where, you know, there are partnerships being strung left, right and center uh, to secure the supply of some of these critical minerals um, or both? Yeah, I think it's both those things. I think those are, are it's a really smart way of framing framing the issue. It's you have, a, you have a situation in Congo where they signed a lot of contracts in the early 2000s at the end of war year, at the war years. They needed financing. They're now going into re- renegotiation, the, renegotiate the terms. It's also an election year in Congo, mm. so the government is looking for ways to get more money into its coffers for elections, for, for electoral campaigns. And then you also have this fascinating geopolitical um, angle to it as well, which is suddenly the world has woken up to certain parts of the world, understood how important cobalt was and copper as well, but the world has really woken up to its importance. And so what we're seeing now is that because Chinese miners dominate the cobalt sector in Congo, both in Congo and then in processing, where a lot of the cobalt ends up, the... Ah, we're battling with our line again there, and uh, yeah, joined by uh, Michael Kavanagh, and uh, we certainly hope we can get him back on the line, uh, because I guess uh, it's a very interesting story, this uh, revolving drama uh, out in the Congo, and uh, I guess uh, all of the different elements to it. You know, it's a uh, uh, multi-layered issue here. But uh, Michael's back on the line. Michael, please continue. Um, uh, I guess you were still talking through... um, you know, what's happening in the Congo, the political context, and I guess why that is giving rise to, um, you know, uh, to scope for renegotiating of some of these contracts. Right. So there's the backdrop, and I think this is one of the things that's given the Congolese government the confidence to renegotiate this at such 
at such a heavy cost, $7.6 billion is a lot of money that they're asking for from the Chinese party. And they're renegotiating other contracts with, in fact, the Chinese government, too, and other Chinese companies, and with Western companies as well. And they're doing this in part because they know how valuable cobalt is. And governments like the U.S. government, many European governments, are recognizing the value, the value for the electric vehicle market, mm. the wind turbine mar- market, any batter- any any battery um, market, in fact. And so they want to make sure that production of batteries uh, and anything that involves cobalt, um, they're going to be able to do it in the future, and no one country, in this case China, can really corner the market. So um, this is, you know, part of the impetus for the renegotiations that are that are going on right now. Mm, mm. And and from what you've heard, I mean, what are the sticking points? Because it does seem, I mean, uh, the longer these exports can't go out, the you know, uh, I guess more severe the implication might be on the price environment for the said product. So, you know, what what, what seems to be the issues that can't necessarily be ironed out between the two parties here? Yeah, I mean, you can imagine, as you know very well, a contract is a contract, and mm. that's what the Chinese party will say. It's very clear, like, what our contractual obligations are, and we're not going to pay you $7.6 billion in, in made-up interest mm. um, if, you know, if just because we didn't announce at the time that you wanted the number of reserves that we found under the ground. You know, the Congolese party, the, the Congolese, for, for their part, they feel... Um, you know, they feel a little bit um, disrespected, I would say, mm. um, by the by CMOC and by a bunch of other companies who they feel like have been have been signing contracts that haven't been fair for a long time. And as you said, and, and I should have mentioned, there was a change in government in the in, in Congo four years ago, and we have a new administration who feels very much like these mining companies were in the pockets of the previous administration under Joseph Kabila. And the new administration of Felix Chisichetti wants to write those deals. Um, and so, so, you know, the sticking points right now are, are both, you know, about, about respect, but also the, 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 there are some legal ones, you know, about royalties, about interest rates on financing and, and things like that. And, and so... Ah, I don't know what's happening with our line. Can we just get him back the last time so we can just conclude the discussion? Because I guess, uh, you know, we've kind of covered a significant amount of ground, but it seems our lines, uh, yeah, are dropping us. And as no often as the reverse call, like switchboard, as I say, Washington. But yeah, let's see. Let's see if we can't get uh, that line back. Ah, I hope we have uh, Michael on the line just as we wrap up. Uh, our discussion with him is a Bloomberg journalist based out in the DRC. Michael, uh, just as we wrap up, I guess uh, you were saying that some of the issues, um, as you say, contract is a contract, there's interest, you know, computational issues and so on. Maybe just uh, conclude on that point and then we'll wrap up on the other side. Yeah, well, one of the things that's happening now, which I think is, is actually very relevant, especially to South Africa, is that most of these metals transit from Congo through Zambia and then down south through the port of Durban. Mm. Um, there's a huge issue with trucks right now. There aren't enough trucks, yeah. and when you have a billion and a half uh, dollars worth of metals on the uh, on waiting to be exported, you could see a huge glut of metals and a huge problem with the cost of trucking um, to get it all down to the port of Durban. So there are a lot of interesting kind of knock-on effects of this dispute that we're seeing right now. 
in Congo, and it makes it a, a, a kind of fascinating mm. topic to, to look into. What I find fascinating about that, Michael, is that yesterday we'd covered a story out of Richards Bay, where there are mm. you know hundreds of trucks stuck trying to get coal exports out into the market. And uh, I think in many ways this is you know um, the other side of that coin of um, the impact on uh, commodity exports of this global environment we find ourselves in. Any view on that? Yeah, oh, it's, it's, it's completely true. You have a number of comp- countries who have a piece of the pie um, and a piece of the supply chain. And when something goes wrong in one of those countries, it actually uh, ends up affecting a whole bunch of countries along the supply chain. And it makes, it makes uh, untangling the problems much more complicated. And it makes, again, the knock-on effects um, much more serious uh, to many countries around the world. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to leave it here for tonight, Michael. Thank you so much. Uh, I guess uh, all of the telephone gremlins notwithstanding for joining us tonight. Thank you very much. Thanks for for the time. Take care. Yeah, that there is uh, Michael Kavanagh joining us all the way out from the U.S. Of course, he's a DRC-based journalist for the uh, financial news publication and data platform Bloomberg uh, joining us uh, tonight. Uh, to take a look at uh, yeah the latest uh, coming out of that challenge with CMO- CMOC and uh, Jeka Mines. But think about that last comment he makes of the direct implication for us here at home. The moment that deal or that uh, conflict between Jeka Mines and CMOC is resolved, what will it mean to have the surge of product now having to come onto the market? What's that going to mean for that line straight through from you know uh, Kinshasa or Lubumbashi or somewhere in the DRC down through Zambia down into Zimbabwe straight through into the N3 corridor to Etequini are we set to see truck after truck following itself and uh, if we're talking Africa continental free trade area is this the time to start to create infrastructure that would be able to deal with some of these stop-start cycles of, you know, gluts in the market accompanied by significant scarcity in the market? And is our logistic capability in the Southern African region able to shoulder what uh, this might imply? But uh, yeah, if also you are a manufacturer of trucks or somebody who sells the stuff, yeah, you're probably licking your lips, relishing the prospect of uh, all of the demand for new trucks that might be associated uh, with the favorable coal prices, but also with uh, some of these stockpiles of copper and coal belt out in the DRC.